Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Next week we'll conclude our Joseph series, and uh, in the month of June, on Wednesdays, my wife will uh, be standing here, and we'll be talking about sexual purity. You say, "Well, Brother McGee, I'm already married." Well, it, it has a whole lot more to do than just being sexually pure pre-marriage. All right, and so come and be a part of that in the month of June. Amen. Excited. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. And I'll begin reading somewhere around verse number 8. Uh, just with all the, you know, the different prison things with us, I thought it'd be exciting to share uh, today stuff that was shared with us. Our next prison trip is the end of next month. We'll be uh, flying to Boston, Massachusetts area for another prison thing. And uh, Sister Reinhardt had kind of sent out a little contact to us today how excited she was, how that Princess Within Conference in Massachusetts is really going to be something. She said she had got off the phone with the chaplain, and the chaplain had said to her, she says, I'm not sure what religion you are, but she says, God has been waking me up in the night. And she says, I've been teaching about Peter and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And she says, we're praying for the Holy Ghost. So just when you think, folks that you think that people don't care or may not have any interest you're wrong you're wrong and so we're thankful amen for that so man that's just exciting I'm excited anytime but that just kind of is like throw gasoline on it just throw gasoline on it amen so gonna have a good time the Lord Uh, Genesis chapter 48 and I'm going to begin reading at verse number eight. Something else that came to my mind, and I know this is a reflection, uh, about the one in Pennsylvania. And maybe it was because it was a lecture-type hall, and they had tables. But you've never seen anybody so good about taking notes as those ladies were about taking notes with everybody that spoke. Turned to every verse that was made mention of in their Bibles. I mean, diligently, just, just taking notes. How comforting it was. Amen. To see that. Amen. Genesis 48, verse number 8, the Bible says, And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them them and embraced them and Israel said unto Joseph I had not thought to see thy face and lo God has shewed me also thy seed and Joseph brought them out from between his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near unto him And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. 
for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham, Isaac, did walk, the God which fed me all my life long this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. We have spoken about Joseph through a variety of lenses uh, thus far. We've looked at his leadership abilities, his means of promotion, him being the son, his wardrobe, so forth, the dreamer, the interpreter, so many different things that we looked at. Today, I would like to look at Joseph as this, a responsible father, a responsible father. Amen. Can we pray right now? Jesus, we need your help in the next little while, Lord, as we look at your word and God, allow it to speak into our lives, speak into our hearts. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, anoint my mind. Help me, Jesus, today. Mark any error, Lord God, from my lips. Help me to speak the truth of your word. And God, let it be done in an understandable manner and way where people can grasp, Lord, a concept or an idea. Lord, will not fail, Lord, to thank you, Jesus, for what you, Lord, will accomplish in this place. You're the almighty God, and you do great and mighty things and have your will and your purpose in this house today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. So as I've said, all throughout, all throughout the story of Joseph, we've seen him as an individual rise to different roles of leadership. His father, again, just a little bit of a review from other things, his father positioned him for a role of leadership even among their family, among his brothers. In Potiphar's house, he was placed as the head of Potiphar's household. All things were put under his care and under his hand whenever he was a prisoner in prison of all things. And Pharaoh then, of course, finally esteemed him above all others throughout the land of Egypt, in the land of Egypt. He entered Egypt, Joseph did, as a slave. But he continued to take responsibility for himself, though he was a slave. Though he was owned, per se, by another and didn't necessarily have any rights of his own to speak of, he remained very conscientious about how he handled things in his own life. In other words, what he felt like he did have control over, he kept control over. How he handled things in his life. Because it's quite, it's quite uh, evident that a misstep in Potiphar's house or as a prisoner or even as the ruler of Egypt would have definitely affected Joseph. Others, of course, would have been affected as well, but not to the degree that Joseph would have been impacted. We see even in the story of Potiphar's house how even a falsified report concerning Joseph got him from Potiphar's house to Pharaoh's prison. And so there would be some type of impact. But amazingly, the dynamics of Joseph's life has changed after that he was made a ruler over Egypt. That goes without saying. 
You're made to be the second command of Egypt. You're the second most powerful person in that nation. Lives change whenever people get power and they're put into position. And so part of the perks we read, I believe it is in chapter 41, part of the perks that was given to Joseph whenever he became that man of power and he received this new position, one of the things that he received as a perk, and let me tell you, this is all, not always, but it, is, it should be a perk, and that is he got himself a wife. Amen. I almost, you know, almost said that it's always a perk. But I, in most cases, it should be a perk. Because always remember this, and I've said it before, but uh, whenever you invite anybody into your life, you're either inviting an asset or a liability. All right? Okay. And so it should be a perk. And so uh, a wife was given to him. And as a result of having a wife, then subsequent, uh, subsequent, I can't even talk, subsequently then there was two sons that would later come into the picture during the seven years of plenty. And so Jake, Joseph went to a place of ruling other people's households and these other arenas and ruling nations to now having the opportunity to rule his own family. He's never had that in his life before. Amen. And so uh, these other areas took place under his careful watch, like Potiphar's house and the nation of Israel, the nation of Egypt, rather, all these other place, places that he had rule over or that he had responsibility for, they all took place in the public arena, so to speak. The public could look in on him and see what was going on or what was taking place. But not so much whenever it became the instruction of his home. See, the instruction of your home, yeah, it can happen in public, but there's probably the greater part of the iceberg that happens in private. When nobody else is watching, when nobody else is around. And so he had served in a leadership capacity where he was very much so in many ways the public view, but now the role and the responsibility of being a father, a husband to his wife would take place in the greater portion in the privacy of his home. And so the question we got to ask ourselves, and hopefully that he won't let us down, and is this, can Joseph, we know he can lead. We've seen him. He's arose to that in every different area that he's been put in. But can Joseph lead privately as effectively as he's led publicly? Mm -hmm. Because that, there's a vast difference. You, you can see people that in, the, in the, the arena of public life, they can flash it. They can prance the horse, so to speak. But does that carry on over in their private life? Someone just nod their head with me. Because it amazes me at times what people, and, and I'm talking about Joseph tonight, but it could be, as easily relate to a mother or that aspect of a parent just as much as the father position of a parent. It amazes me what people, and I'll just say parents for the sake of it, that parents will be willing to do for their jobs, their organizations, in the public arena in order to save face because they're in the public eye, but yet behind closed doors they'll grossly fumble in privacy, what it seems like they have all together in public. Amen. Someone say amen. 
Because here's the thing. The, 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 the audience at home might be considerably less, smaller, but it's no less important. Amen. These two boys that was born into Joseph, these two boys that were given to him, were given to him during a very crucial time during Egypt's history. They're born during a time of plenty. You got to understand then, think of it with me. You got to just think, just all you got to do is be human being to consider this. Joseph then, he is over the storehouses. He's second command here in Egypt. It's the seven years of plenty before the seven year of famine come. These two sons are born during the years of plenty. And so what he's doing as a man in his occupation is he's stockpiling goods. He's stockpiling resources in the granaries for the coming phantom. Famine. He is a very busy man. Yeah. For seven years, he can't let a year go by that he's not gathering and storehousing all of this grain because he knows famine is coming. So he's a very busy man, yet he's just had two babies born in the home. So he's stockpiling up stuff. He's traveling all throughout Egypt. You can read in your Bibles after he was put in that place. The Bible says that throughout all the land of Egypt, Joseph went. The, the, the height from east to west to north to south. He's traveling. He's a very busy man. And yet he was able to give his wife enough tension that during this time the two sons are born. Attention meaning intimacy. Two sons were born during this time. He's busy, a lot going on. The next seven years, just as trying for Joseph. Famine is in the land. And yet these boys, growing up, witnessing dad, are going to see, how does dad operate under a load of stress? Hmm? I mean, from one year to the next, you know, he shows up maybe one of the years. He says, yeah, he says, uh, people have come given money for provision that we storehoused in Egypt. Oh, that's great. You know, next year, yeah, well, now they're coming and, and they're giving their land. They're giving us land for provision because they've ran out of money. Oh, that's great. You know, now they're coming, they're giving us livestock uh, for provision. Oh, that's great. Well, they don't have livestock, they don't have land, they don't have money. Now they're giving us their lives. For provision. And I'm asking myself, I wonder how all that really made Joseph feel. To be exchanging a life for provision. Sincerely. I mean, did he feel accomplished or did he feel somewhat troubled about that exchange? And if he was troubled, Brother Alex, did he go home frustrated? With what was going on. And then the greater question comes... Did he take that frustration out on his family? Everybody okay? Oh, I feel like I'm almost walking through a landmine here a little bit. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. And so he has these perks that were given to him. He has, he has a signet ring that's given to him, robes that are given to him. A chain, of course, the wife has been given to him. And along, though, with this position also, before the sons were ever born, he's given a new name with his new position as well. It was an Egyptian name, nonetheless. But it was the name Egypt and others that Joseph rubbed shoulders with would know him by. His name, don't name your child this, was Zaphnath Paneah. For one, 
I'd have a hard time fitting that on the child's dedication certificate from the church. <laughs> it was Zaphnath Paneah, which means this. The name that was given him meant this. The salvation of the life or the salvation of the world. It also meant the savior of the world. It meant the healer of the world. That's his name. That's the name his sons will grow up knowing him. Because they're in Egypt. That's his Egyptian name. That's what everybody's going to call him. That's what they're going to know him by. And so here's the concept and the idea. Would those boys be able to reconcile what everyone else knew him as? The savior of the world. The healer of the world. If they'd be able to reconcile that with who he was. In the home. I wish everybody had perfect lives and perfect families, but I guarantee you there is a lot of brokenness in families. We know that more than anything over the past uh, few times that we've been in prison and people tell their stories. It doesn't matter Christian or non-Christian. There's a lot of dysfunction in broken families. And what happens out in the front with, with the public isn't always what happens behind the doors with the home. When people in public say that's a respectable man, a good man, you couldn't lay a finger on him behind the home, his children may think quite contrary. They can't reconcile how he is recognized in the public concerning how he acts in the private. Oh, yes! Because, see, in some households, parents betray who and what they're known as in public and where they work compared to how they are at home. And I believe there are some children and kids perhaps that are a little bit baffled in disbelief whenever outsiders start talking about mom and dad, oh, they're the, they're the best thing. They're, like, they're, the, they're the greatest in the world, you know, savior of the world, healer of the world. Whenever the kids might be thinking, I've not seen him save or heal anything in our world. But, and I'm just, you know, I'm causing you to think. But I believe our dear old friend Joseph did well. The Bible teaches us here in Genesis 48. Joseph's father Jacob is on the verge of dying. His sons, you may read this and think they're just a couple of snot kids, but they're not. His sons are every bit around 20 years old. Because remember, Joseph had 17 years on the backside with his father Jacob. The sons were born during the years of plenty. It was two years before Jacob ever even went to Egypt. So we're talking about every bit of 19, 20 years old. These two boys are. But Joseph knew something, Bishop. Joseph knew it was customary that whenever, in their custom, whenever fathers were on their deathbeds, that they would oftentimes impart blessings upon their families blessings upon their families joseph's own dad jacob no doubt would have recounted the time when he and esau got blessings from their father who was on his deathbed and so joseph with this awareness what does he do he's the second in command of egypt he has wealth and riches if you will at his fingertips 
And his boys seem to be sitting pretty good. They're 20 years old. I mean, dad being that, surely there's something that's going to trinkle downhill for those two boys. Dad sitting where he's sitting. Everything seems to be just perfect. It's going to be okay. Nevertheless, although he's sitting in this place in Egypt, it wasn't Canaan. And nevertheless, he takes those two boys, 20-year-old boys, to the bedside of his dad. All right? To the bedside of his dad where upon Jacob was an aged promise that went all the way back to Abraham was upon that man's life. Amen. And there is a blessing that Jacob is going to share. It didn't come from a notable earthly man like Pharaoh. Amen. That blessing didn't come from there. No. But this blessing was one whose origin was held in heaven. It came directly from God. Passed from one generation to the next generation from God. When God first spoke to Abraham concerning the blessing. And Abraham passed it on to Isaac. And Isaac on to Jacob. Jacob now is in the place that he's about ready to transfer a blessing. Again, that didn't come from a man. But it came from God, all right, and here is Joseph understanding what's going on, understanding that his dad's probably going to put some type of blessing upon them. He brings then those boys there before his father, knowing he has the blessing of God on his life and one to confer on others' lives. Although he is the man of Egypt that's of a power, reputation, and wealth, he's saying that's not good enough. He could have just left it alone. He could have just said, they're going to get everything they ever hoped for because they're my children. I'm a man of Egypt. I'm a respectable man. They're going to have wealth and riches. No, 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 no. He was saying that is in no comparison to the blessing that can come from heaven. He said, you can get the blessing of Egypt and the world all you want to, but there is no comparison in getting the blessing of heaven. And so what does he do? He takes those two 20-year-old boys in the presence of his father. You know what Joseph understands? He understands if he wants his children to be blessed, he's got to place them in a position where they're most likely to be blessed. Oh, yeah. He's a responsible father. He's not looking at this thing and say, well, if it happens, it happens. This was not a haphazard, accidental. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. No, he was purposeful. He was intentional about it. He says, if I want the blessing of heaven upon them, I got to take them where the blessing of heaven's going to flow. Our children, those that come after us, it doesn't just haphazardly land upon them. But thank God for parents. Thank God for grandparents. Thank God for responsible people in our lives that have poised us and positioned us in a place where the blessing of heaven flows so that it might flow to me and it can't flow to you. He's a responsible father. Amen. Amen. Once again, Moses, Moses in Deuteronomy 12 tells the people, he's off time giving them instruction. He's, he's the deliverer for Israel and he, he's, he's monitoring them and, and giving them advice. And he tells them what they must do and what they must not do in Deuteronomy 12 when they arrive in the land of promise. And this is the words of Moses to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 12, 12. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Ye and your sons. And your daughters, and your men servants, and your maid servants, 
and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. Ye shall rejoice. You know what Moses was telling the leaders of the home, those that were leaders of the tribe? He says, yes, I want you to take your offerings. And yes, I want you to take your sacrifices to the house of God, the prescribed place that God asked you to take them and desired that you would bring them. He says, but I want you to go there rejoicing before the Lord with your offering and with your sacrifice. But he did not say, go by yourself. He says, go there to the house of God with your offering and with your sacrifice. But don't forget to take your son and don't forget to take your daughter. Amen. Go to God's house. Don't go empty handed. But also don't go without your family. Don't go without your sons and without your daughters. Because little Johnny needs to see you in the presence of God. Rejoicing over what you brought him. Little Susie needs to see you in the presence of God. Rejoicing over the sacrifice you're offering to him. They don't need to see you milly mouth and down and out because of what you're doing. They need to see you celebrating what you're doing. Because if they're ever going to celebrate, they need to see you rejoicing over it. We got to be responsible. Amen. And whenever you are the head of a household, you're a father, you're a mother, you're a parent. You are not just responsible for yourself. You are responsible for your children. What, 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 was the, what he was telling them to do was basically this. Take them to the place where they'll likely be blessed. Here's the thing, folks. Both Manasseh and Ephraim, who were Joseph's sons, were born into the world. Half Israelite, half Egyptian. Because the wife that was given to Joseph is not Israelite. She is an Egyptian. So both of these boys that are born unto him are half Israelite and half Egyptian. For that matter, walk with me. All they have known up to this point in time is anything and everything that Egypt life had to offer. It's all they've ever known. They've been born there. They've been reared there. That's all they have never known. That's where they lived. That's where their home was. That's where they had their meals at. 20 years old even now. That's where they worked. But no doubt, as a result of a granddad and a dad, those boys somewhere along the way, if not before, definitely in chapter 48, these boys heard of a land spoken of by granddaddy and daddy. That was a land that God had promised to their family. So they had to come to terms with this is all I've ever known, Egypt. This is where I live and work, Egypt. But there's a promise of God that says there's something else for me. Someone say amen. And so within the lives, if I might say it like this, within the lives of these two boys, half Egyptian, half Israelite, is that tug of war. Do I identify with being an Egyptian? Or do I identify with being an Israelite? Huh? Well, 
I identify. Joseph being dad could help them on their journey and underscored the wealth of Egypt. Boys, you're never going to have it any better than Egypt. You see this gold and you see, you see this silver and you see that. He could have underscored that. He could have emphasized, look at those pyramids, boys. Someone like Pharaoh, he's going to have a whole pyramid. That's basically his monument. That's his burial ground, that pyramid. If you guys stay in touch like where I am right now, you could even have your own pyramid one of these days. He could have have underscored the sphinxes and all the things of Egypt to them (laughs) and emphasized that and exposed those boys to that. But instead, Joseph chose to expose them to the divine blessing of the Lord. Because again, parents who want their children to be blessed must take them to the place where blessings are likely to obtain. Now look, he does this then. He takes these 20-year-old boys into his father, Jacob, who's been referred to as Israel here in the scriptures that we read. Now, notice, not only does Jacob or Israel, whichever you wish to call him, but Israel as he stated here in this chapter, not only does he bless Manasseh and bless Ephraim, but you'll know in verses like 1 through 7, he adopts them as his own children. He says in verse number 5 of Genesis 48, He tells Joseph, he says, Thine two sons, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, are mine. He adopts them. Really. He adopts them. He says in verse number 16 even, whenever he's blessing them, he says, Let my name be named on them. You know what that meant? It meant that these two boys who are the children of Joseph, and you see it from this point forward, I must have got excited and lost a pencil earlier, are going to be accounted among the 12 tribes of Israel. When you read for the rest of the scripture, it usually don't list Joseph as one of the tribes. It lists Ephraim and Manasseh as the tribes. Why? Because Jacob adopted them. He put his name upon them. He says, you guys are going to be my sons just as much as Reuben and Simeon are my sons. He adopted them. He put ownership upon those two boys just like any other son he had. And you know what that meant, though, in that moment? That Joseph taking them to dad. Joseph taking those half-Egyptian, half-Israelite children before dad. Whenever dad adopts them, you know what that means? You're not an Egyptian. You're an Israelite. Because you're going to be just as any other son I have. And they they are Israelite boys. So I take ownership right now. In other words, by the hand of his daddy and the voice of his daddy and because of a divine blessing that went all the way back to Abraham. In that moment, because Joseph positioned them in a place where they could be blessed, the game was over about a tug of war of whether I'm an Egyptian or whether I'm Israelite. Daddy said, you all boys are Israelites. I claim you, I adopt you, even as my own. I put my name. 
Brother McGee, that ain't really all. Yes, it is very much so important. It's very much so important because I'm thankful how many years ago it's been now. I was just a child of eight years old that my mom and dad put me in a place where I could be blessed. And at that that age of eight years old, on a Friday night youth service, as my dad finished preaching a sermon called Killing Goliath, I made my way to an altar of prayer. You've heard me tell it before. My mama thought I was going to the bathroom. She's going to jerk a knot in my tail as soon as I got out of that pew. I said, no, mom, I'm going to pray. And all of a sudden that night, I was filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. What happened? If there was any wondering in my mind about whether I was an Egyptian or whether I was an Israelite, God settled the score that night because I was in a place where that could be bestowed upon me. And I... It matters what we do with our kids. Those boys doing half and half, I guarantee you there were days they were wondering, really, who am I? And we can't play both sides of the coin. We can't play both sides of the coin because all we are doing is intensifying their confusion about what they should be. I know there, there are a lot of things and don't get me wrong there's a lot of things that the world can offer us the Bible says there's pleasures in sin or even in the world amen for a season but folks let me tell you that by no means can be compared with the divine blessing the divine power the divine unction of heaven you can walk through this life amen just walking along as another individual or you can have God amen come into your life and the bloody shed it is for you but you have it applied to your life the forgiveness that he gave to all but it can be applied to you whenever you get in a place where it can take place and happen Joshua 2 it's important Joseph says I'm going to be responsible I'm going to take these 20 year old kids still kids to him you know how it is you never you never not become the kid of your parents. Okay? I don't care if you turn 50, 60. You're still just a kid to them. All right? Because they're owed as dirt at that, at that place in life. And regardless, they'll always be older than you are. Joshua 2 and verse 12. Look what it says. The story of Rahab. Children of Israel are entering their land of promise. They're going to take Jericho. The Bible says, verse 12, Now therefore I pray you, this is Rahab. She is a, she's a person of a ill repute in the city, but she has hid two of the spies, two of the spies, Israelite spies that have come to check out Jericho. She has hid them, safeguarded them, and now they are going to return out of the city, being unscathed. And so now she has a plea to them. She says, now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shewed you kindness, that you also shew kindness into my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our families from death. And the man answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this, our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. 
And then she let them down by a cord through the window of her house. It was upon the town wall, and she dwelled upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned. And afterward, may ye go your way. Just a few more verses. And the men said unto her, will, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made to us. Swear, behold, when we come into the land, that thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let down, let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the door of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Now here is a lady, not the best of reputation, but she had a kind gesture toward those who were going to destroy her city. Her basic plea is this, when this is going to take place and occur and happen, I'm asking that you would just have a little reprieve upon me and my family. Right? I mean, it, it is not so much so because uh, news articles and reports just totally pull back the cover. You know, in the world that I live, I would think that just anybody would just want to protect their family and their home and so on and so forth. But I realize from all the reports in the world that I live, that's not necessarily the case. Matter of fact, I'm finding out, Brother Malone, that maybe it's a rarer breed for there to be someone that really wants to protect their home and their family. But here's Rahab just wanting to be protective of her home and her family. She's been instrumental in keeping those two spies. So she asks for safety from them whenever they come to destroy Jericho. And so the spies basically told her this. So we cannot be, we cannot be responsible for anyone that's beyond the limits of your home. If you, this is basically what it comes down to. If you will be responsible for them being in your home, we'll take a responsibility for whoever is in your home. But we can't be responsible for those that are outside of the home. But if you'll be responsible for them being in the house, we can assure you destruction won't come to them. Someone say amen. In other words, Rahab, if you, if you can ensure the order that your mom and your dad, your kids, your family, everybody is in your home, then we'll guarantee you protection to whoever's in your house. But if they're not in there and destruction comes to them, we can't bear that responsibility. That was your. You know what they were saying? If anybody's lost from your house, it's not our fault. We said we'd safeguard the home, but you got to make sure they abide in the home. So we, 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 we can't be responsible for that. And so, folks, but the family, it rises and it falls. It's successes and it's failures many times upon the leaders of the home. Someone say amen. And it has great ripples and impact. Later in Joshua 7, we read another story of a man by the name of Achan. Because of his misdeeds, because of his actions of a taking some accursed things from a city, a Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold, shekels of silver, when he should not have taken them. Achan, 
by his deeds, he's the leader of his home, he subjected his whole family to being stoned to death. Because he, everybody say he, not them. They all didn't as a posse go get the Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold and shekels of silver. They didn't as a family go do that. No, he. But his actions or inactions, whatever way it was been in that time, which was actions, he affected them all. Folks, the choices that we make influence our children. And so Joseph has to look out for his family. Because what Joseph does affects more than just Joseph. It impacts his wife. It impacts future generations. Amen. And, and it's, it's important at times. Sometimes you can just get this, I don't know, tunnel vision. And you can almost act out your life as though you're living in a vacuum. Or as though you're independent when you've really got a family. You ever seen somebody, you ever seen a man live like he doesn't have a wife or kids? Huh? But he's got a wife and kids at home. I mean, he does whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. Spends time away from them outside of work, just does whatever. Doesn't really care. No strings attached as though it's only him, like he's still a bachelor. Well, God. Listen, if you're going to act like that after you get married, you need to stay unmarried. Because what you do in that moment isn't just about you, bub. It's about those kids and it's about that wife at home. in Jesus I'm gritting my teeth let me tell you something I got this is my soapbox right now it's a sad sight to see a dude have hobbies every which way on from Sunday and let's say his wife has a broken washing machine but since he's so busy spending on all his playthings, she's got to go to a laundromat in order to get the laundry done for him and the kids. Now, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. He needs to man up. Thinking of someone that was that kind of man in scripture it makes me think of Hezekiah something's funny I'm just glad y'all had a good time the popcorn and condiments will come out here in the bed amen Hezekiah I think of Hezekiah because Hezekiah he was delivered that he was going to die it was told him you're going to die Hezekiah get your house in order he turns his face to the wall he begins to pray and sob off to God and the Lord lengthens his days by 15 years. But when we read the totality of the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20, I almost think sometimes it almost have been better if Hezekiah just went on and died rather than live carelessly and jeopardize the lives of his future children. Because that's exactly what he did. He had a sickness unto death 
and he made a petition to God. God heard it and said, there's 15 more years on your life. And he had, up to that point in time, evidently done some pretty decent things. The Bible says he'd done good, done good in the sight of God. As a matter of fact, a very noteworthy compliment to Hezekiah is that he made an aqueduct. He made an aqueduct. He had a pool and an aqueduct he'd made in order to get water to the city. Very, very notable. Good job, Hezekiah. But, see, there's again, that's something that's on the public arena. God, I need help tonight. I don't know. This is ain't Father's Day, but guys, I'm hitting you. I'm hitting. I'm hitting the male species here tonight. If you can love on a stranger out in the world that's not your wife and flirt around with her. If you can be more kind and generous and forthright to her than you are your wife at home. If you can sit down at the lunch table where you work and listen to somebody of the opposite sex, their stories and their concerns, but you can't open up your ears to your spouse at home, you're doing each other a disservice and you're doing your children a disservice and you're doing the future of your family a disservice. Hezekiah, that's great aqueduct, woo! But he failed to look forward to his future, more importantly, the future of his children. In many regards, he, re, he, he ignored that all together. Look at this, let me read it to you, because I want you to see that I'm in the book. 2 Kings chapter 20, the Bible states these words, and I'll, I'll read verse number 13, and I'll skip down and read a few more verses. But listen here. So this is after Hezekiah has been told 15 more years are going to be put on his life. You're going to live, buddy. All right? Going to live. Well, there were some people from Babylon. Babylon were enemies for the Israelites. But there were some people of Babylon that came over and wanted to see Hezekiah's place and his things. And what does idiotic Hezekiah do? Come on in my house. Look at now, verse 13. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them. That's Babylon. That's the enemy. And shewed them all the house of his precious things. The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment. And all the house of his armor. And all that was found in his treasuries. Treasures. And there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion. That Hezekiah shewed them not. I'm very disappointed. You're the enemy. And I'm showing you everything I got. You might as well say, this is, I know old school, but you might as well say blue light special at Kmart. Huh? Come and check out what we got on the shelves, buddy. He invited them all in. And look at this. And so they see his armory and precious ointment. Man, that looks nice. Wow, you really got something here, Hezekiah, don't you? The Bible says it showed him all his house. Listen to me. And I don't believe that just went about the things he had. I believe that concern. See, this is my wife and this is. You know what? You know what? I find here in scripture. That the adversary was taking more interest in his family than what Hezekiah even was. 
look what happens. Verse 16. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, because Isaiah, he's the prophet here, and he's kind of calling Hezekiah a little bit of, you know, off center here. He said, where did these men come from? Well, they came from Babylon. Say, what? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they came from Babylon. What did you do? Well, I let them in my house. The armor, the pressure, everything that's valuable, showed it all to them. And so here's Isaiah, verse 16. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. Where were you when God handed out brains? Were you behind the door, Hezekiah? Good is the word. You're saying it's great that my enemy's going to come in, going to take everything I got, carried off to Babylon, and the children that I'm going to have, going to take them and make them eunuchs and servants of their house. That all sounds great. No, he said, good is the word that's spoken. Word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, it is not good if peace and truth, it's a question here, it's not a statement. Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? See, here's a man that has a family, but he's living like a bachelor. He said, this is something that's going to happen. I'll probably be dead and gone by then. It won't really affect me, so what's the big deal? God, God. God, God, God. We need to be responsible parents, responsible moms, and responsible dads. Who cares if right now it seems like whatever you're doing might not be impacting you, but there is somebody it's going to impact, and that's your offspring, and their offspring. Not only that, the Bible says they would come in and take the things that his daddy had laid up for him. It's not that you're just losing stuff in front of you. You're losing the stuff that came to you from behind you. You've got to wake up, sir. You've got to wake up, man. You've got to be responsible. Forfeit all that just because, well, that, it, don't, it don't affect me. It's just like come walking through the sanctuary, seeing a piece of trash on the, store, the floor and saying, well, it's not mine. If I catch you doing that, I'm going to rush you down to the floor and tell you to pick it up. Everybody had that person now. We all just walk around with spit wads on the floor and candy trash on the floor. Well, I got to move on. We need to hurry really trying to help Sister Sarah Johnson out over there. She cleans the church and such. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said, there is but one way to train up a child in the way he should go, and that is to travel it yourself. Ultimately, what we do, I believe, will have more impact than all the lectures that we could ever put together for our children. It's one thing to lecture on what should be done and how it should be done and another one that says, follow me as I do it. Joseph Boyce, look at this now. Joseph Boyce. So it's what he does. Joseph's boys are going to watch their dad 
take time out of his schedule, energy, even expense to make sure that his father, Jacob, would be buried in Canaan. Just like his dad had requested. And whenever Joseph is doing this, this isn't just a son that, that is honoring his father, honoring the wishes of his father. But this is a dad that's underscoring by his actions the importance of the land of Canaan for his sons. Huh? More importantly, he's underscoring the importance of the promise for his sons because it's already been spoken over them. That blessing has already come. He says, I'll tell you how important it is, guys. I'll take time out of my schedule. I'll suffer the expense. And I'm going to take dad over into that land. That's how important it is. It's an important enough. Let me put it in in modern day lay terms. It's an important enough to miss some work over. It's important enough to put some money down concerning it. That's how important it is. Now watch. I I, I really got to hurt you. I didn't mean to go this long already. But you all made me do it. Look at Genesis 48 and verse 15. So Jacob, he blesses those sons and he crosses his hands. All right. I'm not going to get into all that. We could talk about that. He put his right hand upon the second born, his left hand on the first born. Customarily, it was supposed to be right upon the firstborn because the firstborn got extra blessings and so on and so forth. We could go on all that, but that's, that's not my point right here. So Jacob blessed his sons, but notice, notice verse number 15. He, speaking of Jacob, and he blessed Joseph. Read right before this. Jacob's hands are crossed upon the head of those two boys. But the Bible says... He blessed, he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, God which fed me all my life long and to this day he goes on about the angel that redeemed him. His hands are crossed, they're upon the lads, but he blesses, the Bible says, Joseph. Why? Because there's a boomerang effect in this thing, folks. When your children are blessed, it blesses Or to say it differently tonight, we're blessed through our children. The night several years ago, when my daughter came to an altar of prayer and cried and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I got renewed in the Holy Ghost that night. When she went down in a watery grave of baptism, I'm telling you right now, there was nothing and probably will never be anything more honoring to this father than whenever that happened that particular night. When I stand up here and see either of my children seem like they're paying a little bit of attention or getting a little direction or a little touch from heaven upon their life. I'm telling you right now in this moment that when they are getting blessed, Paul McGee's getting blessed. When I see their life is being impacted, my life is being impacted. Whenever I see their spiritual heart swell, my heart is filled with gratitude. I'm blessed as they are blessed. I'm touched as they are touched. 
So not only does Joseph put them in a place where they can be blessed, but as they are getting blessed, it boomerangs back and he's getting blessed. It does impact him. It does affect him. It does mean something even for him. Joseph had two sons during those seven years of plenty. He has Manasseh. Whenever he's born, he says, God hath made me forget all my toll of my father's house. Boy, there was a blessing in that offspring, wasn't there? He said, concerning Ephraim, God had caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. There's a blessing through that child. Not only that, so he's forgetting All of the toil of his father's house, yet he's considering the fruitfulness in the land of his affliction. Joseph's blessings through his kids allowed him to let go of the past, yet also look forward to the future. Not only that, and you can stand with me because I don't want everybody to get nervous that I'm going to go hour. Because you all know me. Not only that. Listen, whenever they get to Canaan, whenever the 12 tribes get to Canaan one of these days, and there's still going to be many years before that ever happens from Genesis, whenever they get to Canaan one of these days, and there's the allotment for Reuben and Issachar and Naphtali and Benjamin, we're not going to find an allotment per se for Joseph, but there's an allotment for Ephraim and allotment for Manasseh. And it would be, look at this, Jacob or Joseph rather. Joseph would be the only son of the 12 because of Ephraim and Manasseh. He would be the only son of the 12 because of Ephraim and Manasseh, his sons. He'd be on, I reiterate, he'd be the only son of the 12 that would be represented on both sides of Jordan because of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And you can look, you can look, you go to Google and Google it tonight, look up the 12 tribes division in the land of Israel, and you'll find that both Ephraim and Manasseh's allotment of lands together, if you look at it, appear to be the largest of them all, even rivaling Judah. And you know what all of that pays due to? Back to their father Joseph. But it came through his children. Mm -hmm. So, blessing the lads, but in doing so, Joseph is being blessed. But they're even being blessed because a responsible father brought them to a place where a blessing was likely to take place and happen. Can we bow our heads in here tonight? Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I thank you here this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.